Hi, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of Creator Cast live from Brooklyn WebFest. We are here with our first ever LGBT Creator Roundtable. We have some amazing content creators who are represented in the festival and have agreed to come and take an hour of their time to talk to you about their shows, LGBT representations, and the challenges that LGBT content creators and storytellers face in 2016. So without further ado, we're going to get right into it. I'm going to ask each of our content creators to introduce themselves and their show. Hey, I'm Marzi Hart. I am the creator and producer of Working On It. It is a show that follows three couples and a trio, and you get to see them in the waiting room of their therapist's office, and then the shift that they experience when they come out, and then they also interact with the other couple in the waiting room. So, yeah, that's the show. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jameson Daniels, and I'm the creator, writer, producer of So You Want to Be a Broadway Star which follows Mickey Manuel Minnelli um, as a German documentary film crew follows him around his rise to becoming a Broadway star. I am Patricia McCarthy. I am the co-producer and co-writer of that same show, So You Want to Be a Broadway Star. And I also am on the show as Sandy, who is madly in love with Mickey and also everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and I am Mike Drayton. I'm the uh, creator, writer, and about every hat for Last Call, which is a story about Leo Ocean, who finds himself uh, leaving a very okay corporate uh, gig as a realtor and ends up in New York City nightlife and gay porn, all while following his dreams to end up opening up his own bar. And I am Kit Williamson, once again, the founder of Brooklyn WebFest and also an LGBT content creator myself, having created the LGBT series Eastsiders, which is about a gay couple navigating love life and, uh, you know, fucking up your entire life in Silver Lake, California. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we touched on it some of our definitions here, but I'd love it if also everybody could go around and talk about in what ways your show or yourself or however you want to answer the question tackles the issue of LGBT representation in front of or behind the camera. Marcy here. Uh, my show follows four different relationships and it just seemed unnatural to not have any LGBT relationships in there. So we have a straight couple, a gay couple, a lesbian couple, which I'm in with the, my writer Stacy, and the polyamorous couple. And, you know, most of it is based on different experiences that both of us have had. Like, the couple, each couple is dealing with something one of us has dealt with. Um, our couple is actually based, like, a, loosely based on a relationship I had. And we just took it from there, just let it evolve. Like, our, our focus, one of our main focuses was to show that you know, just because you have a different sexual orientation or preference, you're still fighting about the same shit when you're, you know, a significant other. I think that that's something that audiences are increasingly interested in seeing, you know, gay couples alongside straight couples, monogamous couples alongside polyamorous couples. I think we're sick of seeing all white casts. I think we're seeing, sick of seeing all straight casts. And I think that people are really looking to the internet to set the tone for television. And we're seeing more of it in television as well, right? Definitely. I also think the fact that we have so many different couples that someone can relate to one, but then they'll end up watching the other, it kind of makes you like see something new. I always love it when straight, uh, when gay people relate to the straight uh, characters on my show. 
I think that that's really interesting. <laughs> and a lot of straight women will watch my show. I mean, do you guys find that your audiences are largely LGBT? Next. Also, who's who's watching? Um, a, a lot of twenty to thirty-five uh, women, actually. Yeah, the majority. The majority of our audience is women. Yeah, uh, which is especially funny because the main character is a gay man, but. Um, <laughs> Like it's not funny, but um, we're also a very um, woman-heavy cast yes. and a woman-heavy production team. That was really important to us going in, um, especially me. I feel like um, a lot of uh, female voices get accidentally erased in in the entertainment industry, and even just in in terms of our production in general. Um, we have gone to functions where, even though I am the head writer of our series, people completely ignore me because they assume that Jameson has written the whole thing. And he has to say, no, she wrote the joke you just laughed at. That was, that was her. And they go, oh, okay. And then it gets awkward, which is great. So, um, but when we were casting it, we were saying to ourselves, when we wrote this male character, could they be played by a woman? Um, do they have to be a woman that's really feminine? Could they be a woman that presents differently on the gender spectrum? Do they have to be somebody that's either a man or a woman? Can they be outside of the gender binary as well? And that was a huge part of our conversation, especially with, you know, Mickey is gay, but we don't really talk about that. Yeah, it's, on purpose. Yeah, we wanted it to be a story where it's really about his, you know, his harebrained plot to be on Broadway, because I think when we tell LGBTQ stories, we forget that sometimes our sexuality and the people that we love aren't the focal point of our dreams and our life. And for Mickey, his first love is Broadway and being a star. And, you know, men come second to that. That's not the most important thing about him. So that's sort of our goal with it. I also really felt strongly about telling a story that didn't have to do with um, someone coming to terms with their sexuality. Uh, because I, I feel that was the majority of things I saw represented in LGBTQ uh, stories growing up was all of the stories revolved around them accepting their sexuality. And I wanted to create a character that didn't have a problem with accepting his sexuality. That was just who he was, and he wasn't going to apologize for that, but he has problems with all these other things <laughs> that are in his, uh, obstacles that are in his way and, and, and issues he has to deal with. But his sexuality wasn't one of them. But it, he was represented. Do so we need way. to do a crossover episode? Because yes. one of our characters is a choreographer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All about that. <laughs> so it seems like intersectionality is really important to you. And it also seems like you're saying similar things about wanting to see these characters just be in their circumstances, right? What are your thoughts on that? I think that the uh, presence of LGBT people, I mean, from my perspective, and a lot of folks are surprised at this, but I'm 47, I'll be 48 next month, and when I started my coming out process in the late, mid to late 80s, the only gay character that was prevalent on television to talk about was the gay son dynasty, and that was the catalyst, I think, and uh, I guess the crack in the door where people started peeking through to LGBT people being present in whatever way they did do describe them or portray them, but that was the first. And from then, watching it grow over the years, that the people making strides and, and making their presence known, whether it's very flamboyant and out or just very subdued and, you know, like, uh, to me, the, the characters you play, especially in Mad Men, you would not think that uh, that character is gay, but then maybe, maybe he is, you didn't know. It was just so, that, that way of portrayal. The, the entire uh, life of the movement from Stonewall to where we are today 
our presence in many aspects of life has always been a struggle. We're now at the, at the, the beginning of where there's a lot of women who are present and, and making their, their, uh, their presence known and taking the, the silver ring by, by the vault, basically. Uh, they're, they're doing it. And now transgender folks are, are I don't want to say fat because I, I get a little bit upset when I see how sometimes they're portrayed in that, that manner, but their, their presence is, yeah, we've known trans people all our lives, we've interacted with them, and now that they're becoming respected, I want to say, the media is amplifying yes. the voices of trans people, and I yes. think that it's an amazing thing because we're seeing, we saw how quickly things changed yes. for LGBT people, possibly in large part because of LGBT representation in media, and I think that we're seeing that start to happen with uh, you know gender non-binary people, with trans people, uh, we're seeing these voices get out there to audiences that maybe didn't ever understand that they existed before. And what you're talking about too is like for a long time, the the kind of central cause of LGBT representation was um, you know kind of explaining our existence, mm -hmm. right? And we don't have to explain our existence anymore. We can we can kind of be people and be in our own stories, right? Exactly, and that's where um, Last Call came from. I mean, it's all based on elements of my life. When I left my career, I ended up in gay nightlife and I did gay porn and that's how I'm known. Um, but I come from a theater background and I thought as I'm writing this story and what I've experienced over those six years, who would play these people that I've come across? And it just so happens that one of my closest dearest friends, Bianca Lee, she's, she's trans. Um, everyone is, I'm bisexual, there's everyone involved and we've sort of come together and make, are making this story come to life. And, and I felt, as, as an actor, I identify as who I am, but as an actor, who are, who's out there? Who's, who are the younger generation you know, look up to or be inspired by? And I wanted to pick people that I know who are completely good, very talented, funny, crazy, wild, who can do that. Do you feel that we have a greater responsibility because we have a greater awareness of issues of other communities or other parts of our community's representation uh, because we face adversity? Absolutely. I think one of the things I talk about a lot with Jameson, we don't necessarily fortune our series, but we do, we write together all the time. So we talk about when we're writing other sketches is, so as a queer woman, as someone who identifies as queer, I didn't know I was queer until my mid-twenties because of the way bisexual and queer women are represented in the media. So I literally had no idea that I existed as a concept. I it didn't even clock to me that I had already had relationships and, and sexual relationships with women before I had relationships with men because the narrative was, oh, we're just girls. You know, we just like to experiment with each other because we just like we just like each other. Like you're just my friend, so we're gonna have sex. So and, and it never it never occurred to me that these women that when I was going to bed at night and I was secretly really wanting to also hold their hand. And also maybe being their girlfriend, I just thought, oh, well, you're just confused. You're, there's no way you could be both. And I remember when I was 15, my siblings sat me down in the living room of my parents' house and said, listen, we know you're a fucking lesbian. <laughs> and you're like super feminist. You've never had a boyfriend. I was like, I've never had a boyfriend because all the boys are kind of ugly. Like, true story. No, it was really awkward. And boys were not. Young, young men weren't into it. Um, so they tried to force me to come out of the closet. And in that moment, I thought, okay, I have to pretend that I'm not attracted to women for the rest of my life now because I can't.
explain to them that it's both because I can't explain it to myself. So from 15 to 25, 26, I just said, no, I'm straight, but like, you know, I'm just like had sex with butter and it's fun. And I feel a responsibility now as a writer to to not do that to other people, to not, you know, I love, Will and Grace was groundbreaking, and I loved watching it, but the jokes they made about bisexuals made me feel really confused. They're like, they're just greedy. They're just confused. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was just like, wow, I guess this isn't my sexual identity. I guess I'm just a real horny slut. Like, I really honestly, yeah. that was, I was like, okay, I guess that's who I am. And then now I have to say to myself, Think of all those women you've known in your life who just really wanted to hold their hand. You didn't just want to have sex with them. What does that mean? So I just I want some other fifteen year old girl who watches this to say, well, you know, oh, you know, I want to create something in the future where they can say, I can see myself. That's what I am. And I think the good news is that the younger generation is so much more tapped into these ideas than yeah. you were when you were there. They have so much more support now than we did as we're coming up, especially you know me. Um, they, they can go anywhere. They, they they have their own families. They have community centers. They have their teachers and schools and their LGBTQAIBCD uh, alliances <laughs> at school. And it's it's amazing. I can't imagine. I, I thought back to my high school days. And I'm like, there was no mention of anything gay. And if it was, it was not, you know, there was no support system. And that's, it's a miracle, I think. I think it's a miracle. Desigmatization has been profound. Absolutely. There was certainly no mention of, of any gay. It was to, to talk about being gay was to talk about having sex. And nobody talked about having sex in my high school in Mississippi. <laughs> we had abstinence yeah. on the education. <laughs> <laughs> the horrible, the horrible, uh, connection or distinction that being gay is just about sex. It's, it took for a long time for me to understand that there's more to me than what my sexual desire was. Um, the community, the people you know, how you, you know. I learned how to go over the pier from the things that we all grew up admiring. I'm like, this, this was my life. And it's different from everyone else, but it was, it was just not always about the sex. And that's the hard part of making non-queer people that's the right term to use to understand. Well, let's talk about sex. Because it is an um, undeniable part of what has made being gay be taboo, right? Mm-hmm. And it's also um, an, an, it's something that as we move towards mainstreaming, we start to have the norms and the um, societal restraints placed upon us in our communities that, um, that straight people have had. You know, so it, I, I'm curious especially to, to talk about the polyamorous representation in your show and also the, uh, you know, the idea of... Uh, you know, being a sex worker or being a performer, uh, you know, like in your show, and like, how do you guys feel about, um, you know, audiences? How have audience re- audiences reacted negatively to? Because there's also a um, non-monogamous relationship in the second season of my show, and a lot of people reacted very negatively to that. Yeah, I think it's very interesting because sex is what people are like. We have sex with multiple people, like everyone's okay with it. Um, so people. I think we're going to explore that more down the line, but right now it's like, right now we're exploring the idea that you can love more than one person at a time, and that's okay, and like, when did it become normal to only love one person? You know, like, I feel like I wanted to touch on this before, like, growing up, I dated girls and did stuff with girls, and it was like, I was like, I'm bi, I'm bi, and then, you know, I grew up in New York, so it was like, somewhat acceptable. And then my family was like, that's not, you're not, nope, you're straight, cool. 
your friends, you can have bi and gay and lesbian friends, but our daughter is straight. So I only recently realized, like, just because I'm married to a you know straight guy now, like, doesn't mean that I'm not bi. And I also feel like that is all that also allows our characters in the poly couple to say, like, maybe you know if nobody ever restrained them from feeling the way they wanted to, like, maybe you know they would have become poly a lot sooner. And how you feel is how you feel, right? Because polyamory is anathema to many, many people. And to many people, it's natural. So I think that you know having the freedom to define yourself and your relationship, be it because you want to be with one person for the rest of your life, or because you want to be with no people for the rest of your life, that should be a personal decision. I think a lot of it is, like, we're taught to be jealous mm-hmm. through movies, through other media. It's like, catfight here, or... You know, like, two guys want the same girl here. It's like, we can all love each other. <laughs> it's okay. Some people want to, some people don't. And what is promiscuity? I guess I would pose that question to the crowd as well. What are we talking about when we say promiscuity? I think it's different depending on your gender. And, uh, like, I think promiscuity is an idea that exists in everyone's head as something different. So I would say growing up, you know, I, I had two sisters and a brother, and growing up, I knew that promiscuity didn't exist for my brother in my parents' eyes, and in my mother's eyes especially, because she had a lot of strong ideas about what was appropriate sexually. So she didn't really care or have any idea of what his sex life was like, and if anything, she actively encouraged him to pursue women. But for my sisters and I, the idea of promiscuity was enjoying sex at all because sex is bad, and women don't really like it, and the women that like it are like that was what I was told, and I was like, "Oh man, I really, really like sex. I think about it all the time. It's bad. Like, I don't know what to do." So before I was even sexually active, I was like, "I guess I'm one of those promiscuous people." It's, but I think it's different depending on who you have sex with, like how you identify, and then what your gender or your perceived gender is. Because there are different rules for men and women, and then as far as people who identify outside of you know the binary gender system. No one's established rules for them yet because they're too busy trying to pretend they don't exist. I feel like so maybe no one's been like you're promiscuous. People are like I don't know how to how to put you in the box I need to put you in to judge you yet. Can you <laughs> um, imagine if uh, instead of grabbing by the pussy, yeah. we were talking about grabbing by the cock? <laughs> <I can't. laughs> what would happen to Hillary Clinton? I don't think it would even be a kick out of the race. <laughs> I think literally she would be murdered. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we, when we say things, we say gendered things to children while they're growing up that allow them to to be socialized a certain way. So, you know, don't swear, it's not ladylike. Um, don't do this, a girl wouldn't do that. That's bad. And the idea is that women, I, don't, I know you've probably experienced this too far, like women are supposed to be this, and well, boys will be boys. So, you know, when a boy touches you or makes you uncomfortable and you tell your teacher and they're like, well, you know how boys are. And so you're supposed to believe that, that heterosexual men are all predators, and that's cool, we're okay with that. Um, like, that's just how they are. And then women, like, you know, you're all wilting flowers. You know, you're just a mess. And that's, that's and then there's also other ideas like the idea that um that that gay men are all promiscuous. You know, that's an idea I know you was gonna, I, Yeah, I was I was gonna touch on that. Um mainly because growing up like I, I felt I felt like I didn't really have any sort of like blueprint to look at as far as representation in the media. Uh, because I didn't really know any 
gay people that I was friends with growing up. Uh, I just saw what was on TV, so pretty much all I saw was like queer spoke, and like that was it. That was like my blueprint, which is like not the best blueprint. As much as that show like helped me be like okay with it, at the same time I was like, oh god, that's not me, and like that's also like I don't know what to do. Um, <laughs> when you did, were, when you did see something that you related to, it was like a magic moment. Like, yeah. I remember for me, it was taking oh. on the real world. Yeah, and I was like, oh, he's in this like tragic love affair with a closeted soldier, and oh my god, I want that heartbreak. Arguably the best season of yeah. <laughs> I think there were a lot of redeeming factors of Twitter's book, um, and a lot of way over the top stuff. But yeah. uh, the promiscuity thing, I mean, I, I, a lot of folks, uh, and they think that's how I live my life, you know, because I've done porn for so long. Um, they don't realize that there was a whole world of my life before that and where I am now. So, you know, they, just, they think that's what my life is like. I go out and get laid all the time. That's far from the truth. And they'll send me, you know, dick pics, you know, labia pics, butt pics. You name it, I get it, tips. You, it, it's really fascinating to see what people will just send randomly without any kind of prodding along. And this um, could be its own whole podcast, but do you think that <laughs> people, um, people feel like they have an ownership of other people's sexuality if they have seen or encountered yes. their sexuality through their work? Yes, that, and I think they feel that it's an open door that uh, of what's, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Nice. Mm-hmm. It, uh, they feel like they, since you connect with them and, you, and they, they see what you've done and you meet them out and you're very friendly with them, which is you know what we all do, and I'm a sociable person, they just take that familiarity as they're looking for and they take it a little further than what's nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I post shirtless pictures on Instagram. Yes. You would not believe the people, things that people send me as though it's like we've had some sort of exchange. <laughs> this I is not grinder. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I like all of them, by the way. Oh, thanks. <laughs> double tap all of your Instagram. Before, like, my sexuality isn't really apparent through my show, but before, when I was first starting an experiment with girls, as soon as a girlfriend of a friend girl of mine like knew, they would just automatically say, like, oh, you're bi, so you'll like make out with me so I can figure out if I buy it, like you'll have sex with me. And, like, and I'm like, no. <laughs> and attraction that like goes into, you know, whatever. Like you can't just assume because someone is open, like they're open to you. Being bi doesn't yeah. mean you're attracted to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people think that. Yeah. And because of that, oh, we're just girls. Yeah, because we're, oh, we're just girls and oh, you know bisexual people, it's not really anything about relationships. They just cannot get enough genitals of all varieties. <laughs> That's really the idea. And so for a while, I was like, I don't even understand my own sexuality. Like, I'm very confused. So I just, I don't have emotional feelings for people, right? I just want to have sex. I don't know what that means. Like, I just had no idea how to relate to myself because I think what we see, seeing the representation of yourself allows you to place yourself when you're young. Oh, this is where I belong. So for a while, I was just like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea what I am. Well, being that this is a majority bisexual panel, I'm curious to hear everyone's thoughts on bi and like the way in which mainstream media treats bisexuals. I can't recall if I've actually seen uh, a character portrayed in the film or um, or television as a bisexual per se, or that was a bi character. Um, I do. I do. Uh, like the fact that there's a lot of portrayal of the sexuality behind whether it's gay or lesbian sex. 
Um, because then in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, that's that moment. Who are they other times, you know? Um, but I would like to, I don't know what you guys said. Have you seen, I have not, I can't recall seeing it. Oh, I, said, I think that there are examples that my brain took in and we're like, oh, yes, that's kind of like me, that are not what you would think of, like, this just popped into my head. The first time I saw the remake of The Haunting, the last one's called The Haunting, and Catherine Zeta-Jones was in it, and she played bisexual. And they didn't really broach the topic in a big way. She sort of had sexual tension with Lily Taylor's character. And then when they were talking, she says, um, oh, well, my boyfriend thinks I'm crazy, but my girlfriend doesn't. And it's the idea that, you know, but then she's also portrayed for the rest of the movie as very sexual and very sexy. So even though I was like, yeah, I'm super into Catherine Jones right now, oh my god, maybe she's like me, I was also like, oh, so it's a sex thing. So, and she's very sexy and sensual, the whole film, and that's it. I mean, bisexuality is, bi is a, a very real thing. I'm always looking for myself. And then if you're a woman and you primarily date men, which has been my experience mostly because I didn't want to deal with having to, you know, come out to my family and have them be real awkward about it. It's, my family's just Irish and just uh, <laughs> uh, about that stuff. They're like, oh, okay. Like sometimes when I say I love you to my dad, I'm like, okay, bye. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just like I will all state men because I'm attracted to men. It's easier and I feel safer. And I know, you know, maybe nothing. Like I can walk down the street and hold a man's hand, and I won't feel as scared. And that was just an easier thing for me to do. But I feel like if I saw more bisexual women actually being bisexual. Maybe it would be different. And then also people always assume you're not. So like, oh, you just sort of, you experiment with women. Because you date men more, so you're not really bisexual. Like, they think it has to be 50-50. Yeah. You have to like men and women the exact same way, or you're not bisexual. There was also real. this myth that was going around when I was younger, where it's like, if you're bi, you can have a girlfriend and a boyfriend at the same time, and that is not considered cheating. And like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> it would just be like, no, I have a boyfriend, and then I have a girlfriend, and they don't know each other, but like, they don't even need to know about each other, because it's like, it's like having two different people inside of you, like, one is with this guy, one is with this girl, so that, that was interesting. That's not what people thought, is that what you did? <laughs> no, that was the definition of bisexual that I was given, so oh, I was like, all right, cool, I can do this, <laughs> great. So I think well, yeah. we're, we're seeing the game really change in terms of representation for every facet of the LGBTQIA, PQCDC, or whatever, <laughs> communities um, online. But I think that obviously it's slower to change on television. Well, who are uh, some of the LGBT storytellers or some of the LGBT storylines or shows that you think are getting it right on television? What do you admire? What do you look to as a content creator? I... I, you're probably going to hate this, but I and a lot of folks will disagree with me, but I think looking nailed it. And I'll tell you why. There were many times as I was growing up where there was different character. I knew that that person. And it's a, your discovery, your, your exploration. You're trying to figure it out. And that's what they were saying. There was these guys who could have been a little polyamorous or a little bit way too out there or just completely off the, off the their locker, but they were all exploring their identities. And that's what it was. That's what it is that we go through as an LGBTQ, et cetera, et cetera, person. We're always exploring ourselves. And as an actor, that's the best thing to do is to constantly explore and learn and experience. 
So I think looking definitely got that. Now on the other side of that, um, it did not, I don't think got it right and just made it, I think, a mockery of what the sexuality can be, maybe not some, uh, for some it's not it's the real thing, was um, for this book, where it, there were so many moments that could have been really telling and very uh, supportive of the, community, of the community's movement that they just totally went off on this tangent that it's like, oh, yeah. it was, you know, the sex, the parenting issues, the, uh, the um, older, younger relationships, and the parties just completely went over the top and made it what everybody's, uh, uh, what's the word, or, uh, like projecting onto it all the exactly, time. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I think for me it was transparent because oh. every character on that show is like, there is no, you know, black and white. Like everyone finds themselves struggling, it's all between, and like each character has their own thing they're dealing with. And I think if we were always allowed to have the feeling that we want, a lot more of us would have a less clear cut, like, I'm straight, I'm gay, and would walk along. For me, I really, my one of my favorite shows right now, I mean, it's kind of just a mini series, but London's Why. Um, have you heard of that? It was on the no. BBC. Um, it portrayed a really interesting uh, gay relationship that I felt was genre bending as far as like they've never done like a spy show where like the two main characters were gay. And that wasn't really the main point of the show, but it was there and it was non apologetic and it was completely real and fully formed and not a gimmick. It was just. Uh, it's pretty special, and uh, that's the one thing I'm like obsessed with right now. And people love that show; it's really good. I can honestly say that there's nothing that sticks out to me right now where I feel like uh, connected to it in terms of representation. I feel, um, in terms of people that I admire, I always really connect with Margaret Cho and her work. <laughs> yeah. Um, just consistently. Um, I when I was probably way too young to be reading it, I heard that she had a book and it was her first, um, I'm the one that I want. And I think maybe I was 11, and I went and bought it with my allowance. I was like, I'm going to read this book. And I thought it was going to be funny. Margaret was so funny. And it was really um, bittersweet and sad, and it was about her life, and it was about you know the people that she had had sex with, and about coming to terms with her sexuality, and about going to sex clubs, and being interested in BDSM. And I was like, in my own head, I was like, listen, I'm like 11 right now, but I'm feeling this. I told him. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I was like, oh man. I was like, he's like, he's taking a glimpse into my future. <laughs> see it. Um, and, and I enjoy the way, you know, she talks about representation, the way that she's like, yeah, I am, you know, I'm married, but we are now kind of platonic, and I have boyfriends, and I have girlfriends, and I date people who don't fit any of those words, and that's fine too. But otherwise, I don't ever, this sounds like I'm being overdramatic, but I don't really ever feel like I see myself. Um, and a lot of it, and, and James and I talk about this a lot, a lot of it is because I don't see anybody who has my type of body portrayed in a positive way, um, or portrayed in a way where it's not the central part of their story. Some people can only hear my voice. So I'm a, like size 16, 18, I'm a plus size woman, and I, feel like that's not a story that's told a lot, and if it is, you know, a lot of people were really into Mike and Molly. They thought it was really good. I watched a few episodes, and it was like 85% fat jokes. 
And I was like, I respect everyone who created this show, and I'm glad it's being made, but this isn't my life. And then there are other shows that people are like, oh, this is great. I'm like, well, how much is this character just talking about their body and how they relate to their body? So on top of me feeling like I don't see myself as a queer woman, I also don't see myself as anything. And that's one of the reasons why I started creating my own content, because I was sick of walking into auditions and being told, you're too sexy to play this part. And then being told, well, you're too fat to be sexy for this other part that's sexy. Can you leave now? You know, what I, mean? <laughs> I sort of felt like there's no place for me, and I was either going to create a place for me, or I was going to have to leave the industry because there was going to be nowhere for me to go. I think that's what has drawn a lot of LGBT creators to this space, to the web, in order to find a place for themselves, to carve out a place for themselves, and insist that there be a place for others in the future. Right? Um, because somebody's got to do it first. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Now, in terms of our careers, uh, oh, and I just want to say love transparent. Oh, <laughs> transparent. I also want to give a specific shout out for, uh, for Shonda Rhimes. Yes. yes. I, was, that was nice. I, I feel like it's really interesting to see these genre stories, these stories that have nothing to do with. Um, LGBT issues, have characters who just happen to be LGBT, and also actors who just happen to be LGBT. That's something that is very important to me uh, in this industry. I, I never played gay before. I've made my own gay characters. It's kind of, you know, everybody's got their different issues. Like some people are pigeonholed into only playing gay. Some people are never allowed to play straight. And I think that, you know, we, we have a lot of um, uh, people who want to act like past all of that, but I'm sure we've all faced discrimination at some point um, in our careers, whether we knew it or not. I was going to ask if you've always been openly gay since building your career and if that's like affected you. Oh yeah, I started on, on Broadway, so there was no like need to not be openly <laughs> gay. Uh, but I definitely had meetings with managers. I, I, I had an agent early on, and I won't say who, um, who like very much assumed that I was straight in my early 20s, and um, I... I, I was privy to some conversations that perhaps I wouldn't have been privy to had he known that I was not straight. Um, and uh, when I was fully out and talking about it at meetings and talking about it as I moved from representation to representation, because I had quite the road with that, um, I had a meeting with a manager, and this is just one of many examples I could give, where uh, I was told that I didn't seem this way in, in my footage, in my work, but then in person I came off a little too fey. And I would need to work on that. I'm like, but you're, um, I'm interviewing you to be my manager, and you should know what I sound like and who I am as a person, not who I am when I go into an audition room or who I am when I'm playing a straight character. Like, I will modulate how I act depending on what I'm acting, what I'm doing. So, what are some examples you guys have had? You don't have to make names, but like, what are some experiences that you've had that maybe told you you didn't have a place in this industry? Um, my, my, uh, my look, I mean, I'm, um, multicultural. I mean, I, I can pass for Italian, Middle Eastern, um, Spanish, Latino, um, which I'm part of all of those things. But there's not one definition of how I look unless I share my face with having done since 2001. Um, and then my height, you know, my stockiness, you know, every, a lot of the breakdowns that you see, they're looking for guys like that. Um, tall, fair skin, lighter hair, things like that, and uh, working similarly. 
So I think those are just traditional barriers, and I thought, you know, it, it didn't really bother me, but I knew that eventually there would be a place or something would come my way. And I, I've done a lot of great things. I've worked with Todd Barrett. I've worked with a, a very indie, far fringe stuff that I like doing because I, I just love doing. Um, but I knew that ultimately, if I was going to get anywhere, I would have to create a space that I could also use as my calling card. And that's basically what Last Call is. These elements of things that my experience actually did can be a really incredible story and also give a lot of actors and crew people work to do um, and portray us in a particular way. So I knew it would be my call calling card, an opportunity for people to see me doing what I can do um, with my clothes on and, um, and go from there. I got my uh, equity card really young. Uh, I was 21 and uh, I all of a sudden became like pigeonholed into this. I was getting called back for Broadway shows and then I wouldn't be seen for retail theater. <laughs> like, no one would hire me because I was too expensive. Like, uh, so I like, was in this sort of weird middle purgatory-ish area of my career where I was getting seen for these really amazing opportunities, but I wasn't a big enough name or anybody, I didn't have enough credits for them to warrant actually casting me. And then, there was uh, this whole other side of the uh, the entertainment industry that was ignoring me completely um, because they couldn't afford to pay me, <laughs> and uh, that's how Broadway Star was was created because I was just so frustrated with what I was being seen for, and then uh, what there like there wasn't anything that I wanted to be doing, and I I did this competition. And I, they were like, create a video, like, create this fun video for a Facebook favorite, like whatever. And I was like, ah, okay. And then I did it, and that's how Mickey, that's the character, the character was born for that video. And I won that competition, and it was just like, light ball. Like, I want to create, and that's, and that's how I started. And, um, but I wanted to create characters that I believed in, and that I could play, and that would inspire people. Like, uh, I didn't see it. I didn't see a lot of characters like me growing up, uh, who identified as, as gay, um, who were sort of the character. Like no one can see me on this podcast, but there was this. Um, this I'm a very like character actor guy, and there aren't a lot of LGBT like, character actors who aren't completely. Um, the side character. They're never they're never usually the lead. And so that was something that was really important to me to create uh, was uh, a project where that was the, the focal point was this sort of quirky character that uh, also happened to be gay and that wasn't a big part of who he who he was, but he was okay with it. Um, I think for me, I haven't really been discriminated for my sexuality, but you know, there's a million girls that look like me. Um, and also, we're the time that I started really pursuing my career is the time of the pay to play, where you pay to be casting directors that may be there because they care to make you more, maybe there because they want more money. Barf. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's frustrating because I see a lot of people gaining success that way, but I kind of refuse. 
and I like to, when I have money, I would rather make something where I can elevate my voice, make room for myself, but then I can say I want to work with these amazing people that are maybe feeling the same way I am, um, and cast them on stuff. So for me, it's like, I'm also very, like, on the female aspect, it's like, we've been pinned against each other for so long, but I want to create a community where we're supportive and everything we're doing in the meantime when we're not working with each other is going to bring us, like, elevate our projects when we finally work together and we're not competition. Yeah, that whole we need each other thing is so real. And I think I haven't really experienced any, um, any discrimination in casting as a queer woman, but I have as a woman consistently. I actually, after graduating from college, I quit auditioning for two or three years because I just felt like, why am I doing this? I'm miserable. When I was at college, I stopped eating and like I lost a ton of weight. And suddenly, every one of our teachers that didn't care, because Jameson and I went to the same school, um, there were fantastic people teaching there, but there were also people that didn't really care about us. And when I was thinner, suddenly they really, really liked me. And so I realized, okay, so this is my worth and this is my value. And I, I quit for a while. And then when I started getting back into performing, I actually started performing for less. And that was how I got back into it was because I had such a need to be seen. I just, I wanted someone to see me. I was just like, nobody ever sees me. I feel like everyone's always looking right through me. And I'm not allowed to be who I am. How can I do that? So I started performing burlesque, and I've been doing that for four years. Um, and that's also hard, too, because when it comes to any casting, I feel especially, I mean, I, as anybody who identifies with any gender, but I feel very strongly as a woman, that it depends on who's holding the keys as to whether or not they care about you. So even in the burlesque community, I perform in places that are largely queer, and in those spaces I get cast very often because they're looking at me, they're like, oh, I value your talent, I think you're great. I perform in other spaces that are controlled by um, heterosexual white men. And they, a lot of them, who control the key specifically, they don't want to screw me, so they don't cast me, because I don't exist to them, because my value is whether or not they see me as a sexual object. Mm -hmm. Even outside of burlesque, that's how it is as a woman. It's like, I don't view you as a sexual object, so any words you're saying to me right now don't really mean anything. Even if you're you're networking with people. I found sometimes if I'm networking with, um, like, you know, heterosexual men, more specifically assholes, um, not all heterosexual men, but the ones who suck, I will be talking to them and they will literally turn their back to me so that I know that they don't care. So I can be like, hi, yeah, I am in this web series and they'll just go, and then another girl will walk by and be like, I'm just here to get a drink. And they'll be like, suddenly everything you say is really important because I'm super interested in what's between your legs. And as soon as you say, like, I'm not interested in your dick, they're like, oh, you're single? Let's talk about this part. Or like, you'll work, you'll audition for a part, you know, you'll work really hard, and then someone doesn't make it to set, and you're there, and they're like, just grab that person off the street, have them say a couple lines. I'm like, I had a couple lines, I auditioned for this! <laughs> exactly. It's very much, sometimes I feel like my body is supposed to be my key to my career, and with writing, you know, essentially, Jameson gave me the opportunity to write. He looked at my Twitter feed and said, what are you doing? You're so funny. Can you can you write the Twitter feed for this web series? Can you ghostwrite this? And I was like, on it. So that's how it started. Then he said, can you take a look at the script? I feel like it needs a little work. And I was like, give it to me. I also have OCD, so I was like, yeah, yeah, let me get my highlighters. 
or the reason why you go to your point. I'm going home again after and it's going to be the rest of my life. So we got to do this next time. And here we are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I have a similar kind of feeling in the sense that I, I personally don't think that I can go back. I've tasted it and I have to keep telling stories that include LGBT characters and voices. Um, I don't think I could be a staff writer on Mount Molly or something like that. I, I don't I don't think that my heart would be in it and I might as well go wait tables, you know, because my heart wasn't in that when I did that. You know, like and there's a lot of ways to make more money than you make as a staff writer on a TV show. You know, I could go be a lawyer and maybe even do something that I was passionate about. You know, I could do a lot of things. Um, so I think that for me, my interest is in large part in telling LGBT stories. What about y'all? I, I sort of feel like um, I, I agree with Marcy and that it's sort of, sort of a little bit both. Um, but one of my things that I found is useful is um, if there's one thing those men who are controlling everything love, it's taking ideas from really funny women. They love it. Favorite thing. I, I joked with Jameson, I knew I was a good writer when a male friend from LA stole one of my sketches and tried to film it. I was like, I've arrived. <laughs> I must be good. Someone stole something from me. So um, what I like to do is when those people come to me for advice, is the first thing I go is flip through their script and be like, so the whole cast is just all straight white men then? Because I won't be watching this. And it's kind of, you know, an aggressive way to go about it. A lot of times I'm like, I don't know what you mean. And I'm like, this doesn't reflect the world. Everyone makes this. You told me you want to be unique. Don't you want to be unique? Don't you want people to think your voice is interesting? And they're like, well, yeah. And I'm like, then why are you making what everyone else is making? So in some ways, I kind of feel like I'm trying to subvert it from the inside. Like I'm weaseling my way in and I'm sort of being like, I'll edit your script. And then I'm like, this and this and this, this person can do that. Why is this gay person so stereotypical? Is this person just supposed to be the butt of the joke because their body looks like this? What do you think you're trying to prove by doing that? And I don't do it for everybody. I do it for people whose work I believe is worthwhile and who I think has merit. And I think it can be something good and something great. But I think that if we start calling each other out, yes, yeah. that's the big thing. Yeah. You know, I will literally say it to everyone in my family knows or as me. They're like, did you see this new TV show? And I'm like, oh, the new TV show that's just a cast of all boring white people does. And yes, I know I'm white, but I also, I want to see my friends. I want to see the world that I know. I want to see the real world reflected in the things that I watch. You know, like we can create an entire TV show where there's dragons yes. and, and, where, and where there are ice zombies, but women are still second class citizens and there are no black people. Yeah, so we can right. imagine a fantasy yeah, world where like it's all still white men. Like that really? You could imagine that dragons are real, but you couldn't imagine that a woman could have any power. Whatever I see, I look at the trailer or the picture and I'm like, all white men, not watching it's on Netflix, all white men and not going to see theaters. I'm like and then you know, there's other things we can do like donate to Kickstarters and Indiegogos yeah. or see yeah. stuff to like come to so local Mark Fest or yeah. other festivals. Yep. To say this is what we want to fucking see, and then tweet about it to everyone else, <laughs> or say what can I do? That's not what can I do to help you when somebody is working on a small project and you believe in it. I don't think working for free is something that you should make a habit of. But if that person doesn't have the budget for you and you have the time, can I help you? Can I run your Twitter feed? What can I do? Who can I share this with? Who do I know that can get you where you need to go? 
And I think that that's the way we can start it really small from the inside and just blow up. And then before anybody knows it, we're all in control. Yeah. <laughs> My secret dream. I sound like a mental maniac. Just to piggyback off of that, one of the things that our web series did for us was that it got us um, to produce our first feature film. And we're in pre-production for that. So um, that's really exciting. But that's something that not just creating our own work, but also producing other people's yeah. work. If we haven't had the balls to make our own thing from beginning to end, which was really difficult, which like you know most of us have done or are planning on doing in this room, then that opportunity would have never presented itself if I was still sitting in audition rooms crying because no one wanted to see me. And so it's sort of like, if you want to make it, I don't care if you shoot something, if you shoot an entire movie on your iPhone with a forward-facing camera, <laughs> just do it. Because when someone sees that you've done it and they see your merit, that's the next job and the next job and the next job. And then eventually you have built your own empire and you haven't had to ask anyone for permission. That is all the time we have. This is some amazing thoughts, some amazing, amazing folks. And thank you all so much for taking the time to share your experiences as content creators working in the LGBTQIA. <laughs> Once again, this has been Creator Cast from Brooklyn Webfest. Thank you and hope to see you next year. Woo! Creator Cast is presented by Brooklyn Webfest. Brooklyn Web Fest is an annual web series festival and online creator conference. Our goal is to highlight the best narrative storytellers online today and allow content creators and industry professionals an opportunity to share knowledge and create professional connections. Along with web series selection screenings, Brooklyn Web Fest provides opportunities to meet and connect through a series of panels and educational workshops. This year, Brooklyn Web Fest Season 2 was a rousing success with creators from all across the web series space coming together to share their work and connect with other creators. For our live LGBT creator panel at Brooklyn Web Fest, our first guest of the discussion was Marzi Hart, the creator and producer of the web series Working On It. You can find Marzi on at MarsApproved on Twitter, Marzi Hart on YouTube, or at MarziHart.com. You can also find Working On It on Twitter at, at WorkingOnItShow. Working on it had its premiere at Brooklyn Webfest, so look forward to seeing you soon on Marzi's social media. Our next guest was Jameson Daniels, the creator, co-producer, and co-writer of So You Wanna Be a Broadway Star. You can find him at jamesondaniels.com and on Twitter at jameson underscore daniels. Next we have Patricia McCarthy, the co-producer and co-writer of So You Wanna Be a Broadway Star. You can reach out to Patricia through her Twitter and Instagram, both named Fruit on Bottom. So You Want to Be a Broadway Star has its own website, So You Want to Be a Broadway Star.com, where they upload new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. You can also follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay current. And our last guest at the Brooklyn Web Fest LGBT panel was Mike Drayden, the creator, lead, and producer of the web series Last Call. Mike is easily reachable through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you'd like to find Last Call, it's just premiered at Brooklyn Web Fest, so it will be available soon. In the meantime, you can find it on Facebook under In the meantime, you can find it on Facebook under Last Call Web Series on YouTube under the same name, and at Last Call underscore NYC on Twitter. All music for Creator Cast is used under fair use and copyright. Today's selection was Miami Call by Hair Doctor. You can find more of Hair Doctor songs at freemusicarchive.org. Creator Cast was created by Kit Williamson and Amanda Dicola. 
production and post-production for CreatorCast was supervised by Brian C. Capon. Hi everyone, this is Brian, the end credits voice and post-producer for the podcast. From all of us here at CreatorCast, we'd like to thank you all for listening. Unfortunately, with Brooklyn WebFest being done for the year, I am sad to say that CreatorCast will also be taking a hiatus. But not to worry, we are all planning on starting up another limited run of CreatorCast for Brooklyn WebFest Season 3 next year. We hope to find you listening once again, and we hope to see you next year at the festival.